Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. What can people find out about you and how easily? Today, we're going to talk about the importance of privacy to a real estate investor on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. It's safe to say that most of us could make a better cheeseburger than McDonald's. Pull up Google for the best recipe, buy the meat, fire up the grill, voila. But there are only a handful of people that have created a business model and system like theirs. McDonald's is successful because of their system, not their food. The infinite banking concept is one of the best financial systems that has ever existed. It helps start the Pampered Chef, JCPenney, and Disney World, plus thousands of other businesses. Learn more about the infinite banking concept from our friends at Paradigm Life today by visiting www.beyourbank.com or by calling 1-800-870-8670. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. Let's meet the guys, our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. And back with us, the man we call the godfather of real estate, Mr. Bob Helms. Great to be here again. Welcome to the middle of the heat of summer. We are having a great time this summer, and hopefully you're enjoying the shows, the podcasts. We're out traveling. We've got some guests coming up in the next few weeks you're going to enjoy. And today, we're going to talk about something I don't think we've really talked about too much, and that is the concept of privacy. You're going to set out to become a real estate investor and run your business and your life in such a way that hopefully you're going to acquire a whole bunch of assets and a whole bunch of wealth and a whole bunch of cash flow. And one of the most important things you're going to have to come to grips with is how you keep that private. See, all those wonderful things that you accumulate, they attract predators. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you hear all the time, like we have Garrett Sutton on the show from time to time, and he'll say, or when we have him in a seminar, say, how many of you have ever been sued and people put their hands up and then he says, how many of you haven't been sued yet? Right. And so you just have to understand that in the real estate game, you're a target and people think that you have a ton of money because you own all these assets, even though you could be leveraged to the hilt. And they think that, you know, that somehow if something goes wrong on your property, even though you weren't there, even though you don't occupy the property, even though it's professionally managed, even though whatever, uh, if something goes sideways, you can almost count on being at least one of the parties named uh, in a lawsuit. And there's other reasons besides, you know, the, the litigation explosion in the United States especially, but it's probably one of the biggest reasons. So we kind of think of this in terms of a triangle. I want you to picture a triangle. And at one end of the triangle, you have privacy. At one end, you have taxation. And at one end, you have asset protection. As a real estate investor, you're going to make decisions based on which of those is pulling the strongest for you. Most people, when they start out, 
Taxation is number one. They don't want to pay a lot of money in tax, and there's some great tax advantages to real estate. So they try to put together deals that take advantage of those tax deductions and tax benefits. Then they get to a point where they have some assets, and they think, well, I better protect what I have. And now they shift over a little bit to asset protection. Not saying you can't have both, but sometimes there's a compromise between taxation, asset protection, and privacy. And so as you acquire more assets, you want to have them protected in case something goes wrong. And Garrett's on the show talked about protecting inside of an entity, the property that is the subject property, if you will, or rental property that you have, and what might happen there with trips and falls and liability and so forth. And then outside of that, what happens in your normal life and your regular day-to-day living and how that might need to be firewalled between your properties. Then you get to a point where Asset protection and taxation are interesting, but what is the overarching concern is privacy. Can someone find your stuff? And there's lots of reasons for that, as Russ talked about. But the lawsuit thing isn't just because people might sue you. If you've done something wrong and somebody sues you and you lose, there's a very good chance that the court is going to figure out how to get to your assets. This protection of privacy starts long before that. See, when somebody thinks they want to go after you for something, whether it's warranted or not, in many countries, it has to be pretty warranted. In fact, some of my favorite countries require you to post the amount in cash for the entire legal offense and defense before you can bring a lawsuit. Now, what would you guess about the number of lawsuits in those countries? Not a lot. Very, very small. On the other hand, in the United States of America and some other countries, people can sue anybody for any reason, anytime, even without merit. Now, if there is zero merit, eventually the case gets thrown out. But there is a strategy out there that says, let's just sue and see if we can settle. Sue and settle, sue and settle, sue and settle. It's called extortion. That's it. But it happens effectively in these United States. So don't tune out if you're listening in one of the other 170 plus countries, because there are going to be some things today that are going to pertain to you. In fact, we're going to talk about outside of the U.S. jurisdictions. But the point of that is when someone's considering going after you, legally or otherwise, the first thing a plaintiff's attorney does or a savvy individual does is an asset search to see if you have anything. Yeah, I I think let's just set the table a little bit. We are not talking about trying to evade your lawful obligations, right? If, If you have been sued and there's a judgment against you and you are brought in before the court and you have to reveal your assets under penalty of perjury, you're going to have to tell them what you have. Absolutely. So you're talking about you know being preemptive, which is important. And then the other thing is, from a taxation perspective, we're not talking about hiding things so that you can deny that you own them and not have to pay tax. We're not talking about that either. What we're doing is we're talking about not being low-hanging fruit. I used to like to watch the Munsters when I was a kid, you know, Herman Munster. And there was this one episode where these insurance fraud guys got a hold of him and they thought, man, this guy looks like he's absolutely been in a car accident. We can hire him to pretend that he got hit by a car and then we can go file an insurance claim. So the whole thing was about insurance fraud. And what they did was they would go out and they would look for prospective people to run into Herman Munster and they would look for people who were driving nice cars. They were looking for targets. They were looking for fat wallets. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about not holding yourself out there where somebody with just a cursory asset search and attorneys have access to these databases. And of course, just to talk about databases for just a second, obviously with what's been going on in the news lately, especially in the United States with respect to 
private corporations and governments gathering huge volumes of personal and private information uh, about the citizens of the United States of America in an effort to track assets and flow of money for suspected terrorism. And I'm not going to go off on a political rant. I'm just saying that these databases exist. And so anything that's out there in the public can be indexed in these databases and people can search. You just don't want to be easy to find so that the predators, the frivolous lawsuits, the people who are looking for the fat wallet to go after, they don't find you easily. And I'm sure before the show's over, we'll talk about some other types of people or other reasons why you wouldn't want to be found. But specific to lawsuits, you just don't want to have your fat wallet hanging out there as, as, as bait for somebody that wants to come in and go after you. It is prudent to be private. It's the reason that we don't own property in our own names or don't have to. It's the reason that we set up asset protection structures. And there's not one reason. You may be a target because you're a public figure. You may be a target because you have a lot of assets. You may be a target because you have a lot of enemies. Who knows what it is for you, right? And it's not just lawsuits. Suits. There's con men and women out there, and there's a lot of them. Stalkers. <laughs> All kinds of reasons why you might want to re remain private. And so we'll talk today about some of the things to consider. This is not to make you paranoid. It's not that you can't go around and use your real name. Now, we had a guest this year on our radio show who's a big believer in privacy. Doesn't go by his real name. That's an extreme. Before we're done, we're going to give you a, a resource that's written by a gentleman who doesn't use his real name, right? So that's that's the extreme, but, but you don't probably have to start out there as a real estate investor. Instead, you don't wanna be easily found and you don't wanna be an attractive nuisance. If you go back to that game about if they think, if the people who intend to sue you think you've got some money, their attorney is gonna see if, if that's easily revealed. If in fact, you don't show up as somebody with money, there's a good likelihood the lawsuit will never come about. That's what we're trying to get to. So I remember an instant where a critic took a look at Robert Kiyosaki, who claimed to be this rich person. And they did an asset search on Mr. Kiyosaki, and they couldn't find very much on him. And the conclusion was, oh, this guy doesn't have very much money. Right, they could only find two properties. Yeah, so we've been to Robert's house, and we know a little bit about his lifestyle. We're here to tell you the man has some money. But he's also organized himself in such a way that it isn't easy to find. Now, if you were to sue him and if you were to win and if you were to penetrate his various asset protection structures in order to get to him as an individual, uh, you might be able to unravel it. When I talk about being low-hanging fruit, you just don't want to be something that somebody can casually walk by and pluck. If they're going to go after someone like that, they're going to have to get a ladder or some big gigantic crane, and they're going to have to go climb way up in the tree at a great risk and great expense in order to get their hands on that fruit, if you will. And that, that's really what we're talking about doing. Don't make it easy. Well, since you brought up Robert, another reason why someone like him might want to operate in an entity that is private is because it's harder for him to go out into the world and do a deal because people know who he is. It's a different ramification when Donald Trump makes an offer on your property. You go, oh, this guy can pay more, right? You don't want to be the guy that they go, oh, we know this guy can pay more, right? Just a practical idea is you was, remember when the Disney Corporation exactly. went out to create all of the land, aggregate all the land that is now Walt Disney World? They didn't go out and say, hi, I represent Walt Disney. We'd like to buy your land. Instead, they had all these little companies that, if you traced them, were owned 
ultimately by or controlled by the Walt Disney Corporation. But that's not who showed up. But there was little companies with little business cards and they slowly, methodically put together the land that is now Walt Disney World. And there's nothing, there's nothing illegal or immoral or unethical about that. People have a right to privacy. It's right in the U.S. Constitution. There's no reason why you should hesitate to employ the tactics that are available to you within the law to be private, to minimize your tax exposure, to minimize your lawsuit exposure, and to secure your personal possessions and your personal rights. There's nothing wrong with that. So sometimes people think, oh, well, if you have to sneak around, you must be up to no good. That's not true. That's not true at all. People who say that uh, I think are just people who like to run around and point fingers at people and act like because someone cares about their privacy, there's something wrong with them. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. And I guess, you know, probably if you're a listener to this show, we're preaching to the choir, right? You probably think, just tell me how to do it because that's what I'm interested in. And we're going to get into that. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't walk up to your neighbor and go, hi, how are you? It's good to see you. How much money did you make last year? <laughs> well, that's none of your business, right? How many cars do you have and do you own them or are there loans against them? Do you own any other real estate? I mean, it's none of your business. That's what privacy is about. When something is none of someone's business, let's keep it that way. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the specific things you can do when you're just getting started and ultimately as you continue down the road of more and more real estate ownership. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hello, this is Dave Leniger, co-founder of REMAX International. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. The number one downloaded podcast on real estate investing now heard in more than 170 countries. Thanks for tuning in today. We're talking about privacy. How is it that you keep your affairs private as a real estate investor? And we've kind of spent plenty of time talking about some of the whys, but let's get into the specifics about things you should consider. Now, keep in mind, this is not advice. We're not telling you what to do. It's just things you might consider. There is no harm, no foul, no problem with you owning your house in your own name. Many people do. They own property in their own name. I don't. You don't. You don't, Bob. We don't own property in our own name anymore. Why is that? Well, a lot of reasons, and there's a lot of tools available to us. Now, we're focusing on privacy, but the other two parts of the triangle are important too. Some of the tools that we use are about asset protection. Some are about taxation. But let's start with your home. The saying is a man's home is his castle. And the last thing you want to do when you're 
kicking around with your family, get your shorts on, you're maybe having a beer or a glass of wine and relaxing on a holiday weekend or whatever, is have somebody showing up at your doorstep to disturb you. Um, sadly, I've had that happen. And it's no fun. It's embarrassing sometimes, you know, to try to explain to your friends who this person is or why are they, they there. In, in one case, we had a, a person who owned a property adjacent to a property we owned. They were having a difficult time with our tenant. And they decided the way to handle that was to drive over to my house and sit in my front yard until we were there to talk to them. Well, I didn't appreciate that very much. And of course, this is before I understood all of this stuff. And so one of the things you want to start with, I think as a basic, uh, if you're going to go down this path, is, is securing your personal residence. Now, obviously, if you bought your home and you already live in it and your name is attached to it on the mortgage, then there's not a lot you can do. You might be able to transfer it into the name of an entity, and then you have to deal with sometimes the issues of transference uh, with property tax issues and the potential for the loan to be called. From a practical point of view, most of the time that isn't an issue. And now going forward, your property shows up on the record in the name of an entity. Um, the best way to handle it, of course, is the next time you change properties and you leave the property you've been at, don't leave a forwarding address to tell people who knew you were at the old place where to go to the new place. You proactively tell people who you want to have the address what the address is and don't put something in the postal record. So that's kind of number one. And then obviously make sure that when you own the property that it is titled in, in someone else's name. Or if you're really hyper private, you probably wouldn't want to own the property that you live in. You would want to rent the property that you live in and own other properties and then your name doesn't show up on the title anywhere. All right. Well, now, now you bring up a good point, which is there are various degrees of this. And again, it's not to be paranoid. There are certain people who are going to go to the extreme to maintain their privacy, and they probably need to. For the average investor, it's no big deal other than the, the minor inconvenience of someone knocking on your door. As you know, today you need to, if you have an entity, have a registered agent of service in most places. You need to have someone who, someone who has a claim against you or a tenant or a vendor or mechanics lien. Somebody can come after you and get a response. That doesn't mean you give them your home address or even your business address. You can give them a property manager's address. You can give them your attorney's address. Lots of ways you can satisfy that requirement and not be bothered at home. There's an interesting book by J.J. Luna called How to Be Invisible. Now, I was reading this book at an airport once, and a woman walked by and she said, it's not working. I can see you. <laughs> but the, the premise of his book is to leave a small footprint. And then he talks about four different stages. And the first stage is kind of what we're going to talk about today. Now, for those of you that are interested in getting into stage three or four, then come on the summit when we're in international waters or come on a field trip to Belize, and I'll be happy to have a private conversation with you. But the average person out there only needs to think about a few simple things to do, and that's where we're going to kind of start today. So if you own a house in your own name, it's no big deal. If you want to buy a house or you're going to move and you're going to buy another house, it is usually perfectly acceptable to own that house in the name of an entity. And that entity could be a corporation or a limited liability company. And they have different ramifications. And we won't talk too much about that. But there are proper entities. You just have to do that with full disclosure. Many lenders don't want to make loans to your single purpose LLC. And in fact, a question that we didn't get to last week for Ask the Guys was, well, if I move my property from my name into my LLC, I'm not going to have a due on sale clause and all that. Well, there is that potential, 
but normally with the permission and disclosure to your bank, you can affect those changes if it is for asset protection and estate purposes. Yeah. And from a practical perspective, we've been doing this for a while, and I've still yet to meet somebody that's actually had that happen. Had the loan called because they moved it yeah, into their I LLC. Yeah, you know, the lender cares about getting the payment. If the payment's being made, great. But let's talk about this entity thing, because if you go to the trouble to set up the entity and title the property in the entity, and then you name yourself in the public record as the officer of the entity, you've defeated the whole thing. Right. So one of the concepts you're going to want to get familiar with with your asset protection attorney is the concept of having a nominee officer or a nominee director or having some third party who actually shows up in the public record. Again, perfectly legal. There's nothing wrong with it. Some states allow it, some states don't. So your asset protection attorney can counsel you with respect to which jurisdictions would be most favorable because you can form an entity in a different jurisdiction and then own property in a different jurisdiction if you choose to. You may have to file some paperwork with the state, but if the state where you have domiciled, if you will, your entity that you're going to use, if they will allow you to use a nominee, now you can. You don't have to put your name in the public record. Wyoming, for example, doesn't even put a list of officers in the public record, so you have to go through even greater levels of hoops even to find out anybody who's associated with it, much less the actual owner. I was just going to say, jurisdictions behave differently, and it's one of those things about about taxation versus privacy and asset protection. If you live in the great state of California and you have an LLC, you're going to pay $800 a year for the pleasure of doing business in that state, even sometimes if your entity is set up somewhere else and you live in that state. So there's a reason why you might want to consider an entity to save money. Now, it's not a tax. The $800 is a fee, but it acts the same way. It eats into your purchasing power and it robs money from your you know, investment fund. If it walks like a tax and talks like a tax, and quacks like a tax, it's a tax. Absolutely. So one of the ways you can duck out of it is to be in a different state. And uh, don't worry, you. I'll put that on your bill. Uh, but you want to look at that and, and talk to your asset protection attorney, important member of your team. To you know, you don't try to do your own brain surgery. You're going to spend a little bit to talk to an attorney, but you're going to get great advice when it comes to both asset protection and privacy. And if you do it wrong, you might as well not have done it at all. So think about the ways that people index you. Okay, if you think of like building a database and you have to have a common key, obviously your social security number, huge, your email address, your residence address, your driver's license number, so your telephone number, your fax number, these are all things that people use to index you. So if you were to say, well, I want to create a persona under which I'm going to do business, again, perfectly legal, then you're going to want to have a separate email address, a separate phone number, hopefully something like a Google Voice that just forwards to, to a real number so that nobody would really know what your real number is. They would know what your Google Voice number or some forwarding phone number is. You could do it with a toll-free number if you chose to do it. You have an email address that you only use for the specific purpose of doing business in, in this arena, a fax number like a e-fax or something that is specific. And don't necessarily pick an area code that matches up with where you are. Why leave any more clues out there than you need to? Again, we're talking about just making it more difficult for a predator. We're talking a predator now to find you. We probably already figured out if the government wants to find you, they're going to find you and there's nothing you can really do about that. If you're a criminal, the police are going to find you or the FBI is going to find you. It's not about that. The idea is just as you become more successful, 
successful than the average person. If you're listening to this program on any regular basis, that's probably you. You're not content to just get up and go to work and you know make a living. You want to have assets. You want to build up cash flow. You want to become wealthy. Well, you do that, you just ought to take a little bit of time to become private about it. Well, here's the thing about contemplating your structure in advance, because if you go accumulate all these assets and then decide to become private, you have left a trail of records and documents in the public record that all point to those assets, because those assets are physical. They have physical addresses, physical APN numbers in the record. And if you're indexed to those, the only way to become private once you figure out how to do it is to dispose of those assets and go build a new collection of assets assets and do it properly. So why not understand the structure from the beginning and then put your assets in that structure to optimize your privacy? There are a couple of subtleties to that. If you are an investor who has acquired some property, you're growing your base, you're ready to do tax deferred exchanges into other properties. You cannot exchange property A for property B without using the exact exact same identification of the property you relinquished and the property you replaced. So what I'm getting at is, when are you going to change it? And the answer is, the earlier the better. That gets back to the difference between taxation, asset protection, and privacy. You might decide for privacy's sake, you want different LLCs for every property. But to Bob's point, you have to have the same LLC, relinquish a property, and purchase another property if you'd like to take advantage of one of the great tax tools that we have, the 1031 tax for exchange. So you got to think about this stuff ahead of time. Now, of course, we've probably caught you where you've already got some properties, you've already got some stuff in your personal name. No big deal. This isn't, oh my goodness, better sell all that stuff and, and quickly form LLCs to go buy other property. That That's an extreme position. Instead, it's thinking about it in advance. And part of it is you don't know right now what your portfolio is going to look like in 10 years. You may have goals and dreams and aspirations, but you know what? It's going to look different, hopefully better than you even expected as you become a better and better investor. Well, and of course, as you get more sophisticated, you'll go from having an interstate network or entity structure to having an international entity structure because now it becomes that much more difficult. Most of the time, people in the United States only search in the United States. And so if you have assets that are held offshore, again, nothing wrong with that. And you may have to file documentation with the federal government, but you don't necessarily have to put something in the, in the county record. You don't have to put something in the public databases. Some of these countries don't even have those types of databases to be searched. And you can bet going forward that the bigger countries more and more are going to impose themselves uh, on the smaller countries. And as the smaller countries begin to get databases, they're going to become uh, more active in information sharing. So again, with everything that you're doing, begin with the end in mind and understand along the way you're, you're going to make some mistakes and that's okay. I mean, unless you're, you're, you're hiding from a stalker or somebody who's threatened to kill you and you're in a witness protection program or something like that, what we're doing is we're talking about just making it many levels of difficulty harder. Not impossible, but many levels of difficulty harder than it would be for again, the casual person who just puts everything out there in their own name. And now we're talking bank accounts. Your entity can have a bank account. It'll have its own EIN. Now the bank will know who the signer is, but that's not a matter of public record. You can only get that with a subpoena. And so that information is not going to be readily available. So you can conduct business for sure. So just be aware of where these indexes are and, and, and be consistent. Just paint a picture of this is how it is. 
and take a time out every so often and reread some of these great books on how to do some of this stuff and double check yourself and say, okay, where, where am I doing it right? Where am I doing it wrong? What could I do better? And it's like anything else that you practice. It's an, it's a moving dynamic platform and it's going to evolve. But uh, there are people out there very dedicated to this particular topic. We find them fascinating. And uh, I, I promise you, if you were to go searching for some of the most super rich people in the world, not the ones that make the Forbes 400, but the real rich, the people. real rich yeah. people, you can't find anything. And that's by design. So again, it's not to take the extreme view. It's just to say that all things being equal, I'd like privacy. It's going to cost something because to put the home in my own name doesn't cost any more. To form an LLC and to maintain an LLC and to have a registered agent and all that costs some money. So what's it worth? I'll tell you what, growing up, my mom and dad owned an apartment building and my mom had two of the tenants who had been there forever who would drive to her house at the first of the month and sit down with her and chat and visit and they'd pay the rent and cash. And she loved that. If you're going to own a 144-unit apartment building, you probably don't want those tenants to have your name, let alone your address and your phone number and how to reach you. The world has changed, so there's reasons to be private. Now, some of it is just the arm's length transaction. I mean, imagine this scenario. Your tenant comes over and they say, listen, I just want to talk to you. I'm having a really hard time and my job has cut back my hours because of all that full-time and insurance stuff and I don't have another job and my kid needs braces. and..." You're looking this tenant in the eye. It's hard not to go soft. When they don't know who you are and you're some nameless, faceless person and your property manager has to deal with that request, it's a different reality. Well, or if you go hard and then your tires get slashed or your lawn gets acided or whatever, you know? And, and then just talking about, okay, so once you said, okay, I'm not going to give anybody my personal home address. I'm, I'm not going to attach my name to the residence that I live in, whether you do it through an entity, a lease, if you're renting, however you choose to do it, but you're not going to put in the public record your home address. Well, you have to have an address. Well, obviously you just set up a postal mailbox or have a, maybe you have a friend or a relative that would allow you to process your mail through their address where you're not. Now, I think better to have a commercial location, which is perfectly fine. That can be on your driver's license, depending on the state. You have to check with your state and that's where all your mail goes. And you don't, you don't, it's where your bank accounts are addressed. It's where all your statements go. It's where everything goes and you don't take any mail at your home address with your name on it. You don't need any mail or shipments at your home address. Let that all go to the postal station. Again, that's a level of privacy, right? J.J. Luna says in his book, for the rest of your life, as long as you live, never collect mail where you physically reside. And that's just a level of privacy. Now, you're saying, well, but, you know, people send me Christmas cards and people send me packages and like to order online. And I, as soon as it's back in print, I want to get equity happen, ship to my house. Okay, well, instead of shipping it to your house, you ship it to this address, which is your regular business address. You know, people have a business address who have a business. And oftentimes they say, well, my business is always open. I never miss packages. When I'm at home, someone tries to get me something to my door that I have to sign for, or they want to send me flowers or whatever, and I'm not home, then it becomes this whole fiasco, right? When there's someone there, it's the whole idea of a registered agent, someone who's there on behalf to accept things for you. It's almost a better degree of professionalism. We're talking about privacy and what that means to you as a real estate investor. we got lots more ideas before we're done. And up next, we'll play real estate trivia. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Elms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. 
Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, this is Anthony Mercury from Hotel Impossible, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. Be sure to join us for Secrets of Successful Syndication. That's coming up August 23rd and 24th in the wonderful climate of Phoenix, Arizona, a great place to be in the middle of August, mostly because of the incredible education. If you've ever thought about making bigger money, doing bigger deals, using other people's money, syndication might be for you. Go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and click on events. To learn more, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's trivia question, which of course has something to do with real estate. When you hear the question or the answer, you're going to send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and mailing address so that if you're the winner, we can send you a copy of your prize. Now, your prize is an actual book. It is by Josh and Lisa Lannon. It's called The Social Capitalist, a great book on entrepreneurism. That can be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. Before we talk about this week's question, let's review last week. It was Ask the Guys, and we asked you to name the national sport of Mexico. The national sport of Mexico is bullfighting. Bullfighting. Now, football what, what we would think of as soccer in the United States of America is actually a lot more popular in Mexico than bullfighting is. But to this day, bullfighting is the national sport. There you go. In America, the national sport is litigation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. What U.S. city fielded the first professional baseball team? That's right. It's summer. Let's talk about baseball. The first professional baseball team came from what United States city? If you know or want to take a guess, simply email us, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your real name and your mailing address, but probably not at the house you live in. And uh, if you're the winner, we'll send you a copy of The Social Capitalist Great Book by Josh and Lisa Lannon. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking about your privacy as a real estate investor and as a person. There's just certain things that you'd like to keep private. You know, back in the day where someone had to look in the phone book or pull up physical records to find you, it was not that big of a deal. But today, with the easy access to information and the internet, it is more important than ever. Today, people, I think, have given up a degree of their privacy through social media, through the things they put out there. I mean, it's easy to find someone today, easier than ever. And you don't want to be one of those people. You know, we travel a lot, and uh, one of the things that you can do, especially if you have your home address on your driver's license, is when you travel, use your passport. Try to use your passport as often as you can uh, for your form of identification because it doesn't give your home address. 
So it provides a picture identification, government issued, it meets all the requirements, but it doesn't contain that personal data that you could be indexed by. Most people don't have your passport in their database. Many people will have your driver's license in the database. And of course, many states, and I think maybe all of them right now, have your social security number indexed into your the magnetic strip on the back of your driver's license. And so if you ever lose your driver's license, you know, you have to realize you've potentially been compromised. Every time you take it out of your wallet, you run the risk of losing it. So the less often you take it out of your wallet, the less likely you'll lose it. Uh, use your passport instead. I just read an article about stores that are routinely asking people for their zip code. And sometimes it's just market purposes. They want to know where people are shopping from. But other times they are soliciting whether or not they want to attract you as a client and in some cases running you through various databases to see what else are you subscribed to. Do you subscribe to other magazines or are you in databases affiliated with a particular hobby or sport? So they're trying to be a better service to you. I don't want anyone to have that information. That is nobody's business. How many times have you been in line and you forgot your, you know, your whatever card they give you and the clerk asks you, well, what's your phone number? And there you give out your phone number, a lot of times your cell phone number, and there's maybe three or four people standing around right next to you, you know? And uh, we had a situation at the local grocery store recently where somebody had gotten in there and actually modified the scanners that they were using the, right. the point of payment. And when you scanned it, they were capturing your bank, your debit card information and your PIN number. Like, for example, I will never use a debit card at a charge location as a debit card and put in my PIN. Whenever I charge something at, at a point of sale terminal, uh, I will use use it as a credit card. You might have to put in your zip code, which is still a degree of compromise, but man, your PIN number, you don't ever want to give your PIN number up. So those are just little things. And of course, you may think, well, what does that have to do with real estate investing? Well, before you're a real estate investor, you're an investor. And when you're an investor, especially if you're an investor, like if you have a debit card that is indexed to a checking account that is what you use to collect your rents and hold your deposits and all, I mean, you could have a fair amount of money, in some cases, maybe even money that you're holding in trust for someone else. So you just want to be very protective of your banking information. You know, having a shredder would make a lot of sense, you know, make sure. I mean, these are common sense things. They're easy to do, but they're also easy not to do. And a lot of people don't do them. And I drive around my neighborhood and I see these little guys come out, you know, because it's a tough economy and they're rummaging through people's recycle. I don't care how much paper, if I got financial documents, it's going in the shredder and it's going in the trash. I'm not putting it in the recycle because people rummage through the recycle and they find stuff. I don't want them to find anything that pertains to me. Absolutely. In fact, if you decide to take this to the next level and read J.J. Luna's book, you'll learn uh, about a lot of different scenarios that we're not going to talk about for where it might make sense. And, and he, he's got some extreme examples, but at the same time, for the people they happen to, boy, they had wished they had been more private uh, ahead of time. I, I think you bring up another point, which is if you plan to ever raise capital and syndicate deals or do bigger deals or get together with partners, you need to manage your professional and therefore your online reputation. If I want to find out about the character of a person who's putting together a deal, I'm going to go search around and I'm going to find that Facebook posting and I'm going to find that crazy wild spring break party photo that might not paint you in the best light if I'm considering putting $250,000 in your deal. Not saying there's anything wrong with having a good time and all that. You just remember this stuff lives 
forever. Social media is scary. Every generation, ever since technology really entered the scene, it gets harder and harder to have a degree of privacy. You know, George Orwell's famous book, 1984, about Big Brother, uh, might have been a little bit premature. And it doesn't even have to be nefarious. I mean, look at all of the controversy with Google and the other uh, internet companies tracking your online movements and data indexing everything that you do and then offering that data. You know, you ever wonder why these services are for free? I mean, it's just like credit scores. You know, credit scores is a database of your purchasing and financial history, and you aren't the customer. Right. You're the product, right? You, they're gathering data on you that they sell to people who want it. They'll offer you your credit report for free. Great because they have to do that. They wouldn't do it if they didn't have to do it, but they do it. But really what they want to do is they, they gather all that information so they can turn around and sell your financial data to marketeers and obviously people who are doing loan underwriting. And a lot of them are for good purposes. But the thing is, it's, it's just having an awareness that your information is out there, how people are gathering it, how people are using it, and not being haphazard about how you choose, I think, Robert, to your point, to show up in these databases. And sadly, there's a lot to think about. You've got the, you know, the old school, you've got to think about how you show up in the financial records and the government records. You've got to, now we've got to be concerned with how we show up in the health records, which are going into a big database. And of course, showing how do we show up in these marketeers databases? Something as innocent as just having one of these little frequent buyer cards, right? And every time you go in, you're telling people, these are the products I buy. This is how much money I make. This is how much money I spend. You fill out a little survey, you know, household income between this and that, you know, you're painting a picture. Who knows where that data ends up? So to me, I just believe less is more. If somebody asks me for information, my first question is, is why do you need it? And if they have a good reason, my next question is, do you have a legal right to ask for it? If you don't, I'm not giving it to you. If you're just asking a question to qualify me for a benefit, I'm under no legal obligation to tell the truth then I may fudge the data a little bit. I'm not harming anybody, right? I mean, it's not like I'm giving it under penalty of perjury. I just don't want to paint a picture. You know, I just don't want to have the information out there. And again, you know, really, you know, we started out big picture talking about property records, financial records, government records, where predators would go to find you. But you have to understand they are getting more and more sophisticated about how they cross-reference and data index to paint a picture. I've heard stories of debt collectors and creditors, you know, going after people and finding them through social media. And you think, well, I have rights. The problem is technology is advancing so quickly, the law can't keep up with it. You may technically have rights, but there's no court precedent to really prove it. And you don't want to be that guy or gal that it provides that court precedent. So just, I say, stay back from the edge. You don't need to be on the bleeding edge of information sharing technology. Stay back a little bit and watch and see how it develops. But definitely, this is something you want to pay attention to going forward. Uh, and it's going to be a constantly evolving thing and a constant challenge, but you got to engage in it. Well, and you also want to think through how, as your assets grow, you're going to continue to implement these things. And it's going to change over time. 
you know, today we are in a different position than we were when we started real estate investing. And so we behave differently. Our business lights look different. Today, almost everything is done through an entity and most of those entities are owned by other entities. We like to have companies that are operating companies. They do business. We have companies that are managing companies. All they do is manage. They don't really do business. And then we have companies that are holding companies. All they do is own assets. They never manage. They never operate. And so they have different levels of risk because of that. That gets more complex. It means more entities and more fees and more annual renewals. But it also gives an added level of protection. Some of that is asset protection. Some of that is privacy. You want to show up as private as, as you need to in as many places as important to you. Now, I'll give you a practical example. It used to be that we would go on field trips and we would go, oh, here's my building. Oh, there's Russ's building. And oh, we have this building together. And oh, let's go meet our property manager. And yeah, these are my 120 units. And yeah, here's my guy. And we used to do that. I have no problem sharing that information with people. And then a funny thing happened. <laughs> people said, well, I, I think I'm going to invest in this market just because Robert and Russ invest in this market which is a terrible reason to invest in a market just because we do. So today when you go on a field trip, we don't say anything about the properties. We might drive right by a property that we own. We don't say a word about it because it's not about us. It's about the attendee understanding whether the market's right for them. So sometimes things get colored because of who you are. Best to stay as neutral as you can be. Well, and you never know when you're going to become a public figure. Obviously, with social media, you're literally putting yourself out there and making yourself a public figure. And some people take a lot of pride in that. They want to have the maximum number of likes and followers, and they, they want to be an online celebrity. Okay, well, that's okay. Uh, you know, if it were me, I would kind of create an online persona and let that be me and maybe, you know, own all my properties in my real name and never use my real name in public or vice versa or work through entities. Or you may have an event occur in your life where you're just an everyday person. All of a sudden something happens, you know, maybe you happen to be at the Boston Marathon and the guy thing blows up right next to you. And then you grab the guy and do the right thing and your pictures all over America and you're a hero. Well, I didn't mean to be a hero. Right. I didn't mean to be a national celebrity. I was just there in the wrong place or the right place at the right time to do the right thing. But now I've got this issue where everybody's in my business. So you just don't know. And, you know, when you're in an environment where everybody's got a recording device, uh, some overt, you know, it's obvious they've got a flip phone or a cell phone and they're there, uh, they're recording you. Other times you've got a lot of hidden cameras. I mean, the technology and the ability of people to, to collect data. And again, you know, we're not really, this show's not really about that. Just it's a, it's a matter of being aware that you can become a public figure without ever really intending to become a public figure. And you may be very actively engaged in becoming a public figure, not even realizing you're doing it just because you're social. And these are things as an investor you want to consider if your aspiration is to become an extreme high net worth individual, then you're going to attract a lot of attention and maybe not always the kind of attention you're interested in. We're talking about privacy for real estate investors today and we have more ideas when we come back. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Do you know what city was ranked number one on Clear Capital's list of highest performing metro markets just this February? It was Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. If you haven't heard, Atlanta has just begun an incredible road to recovering real estate values. With an unprecedented demand from investors 
and a shrinking supply of inventory, properties in the Atlanta market are poised for tremendous growth over the next few years. At Georgia Residential Partners, our mission is to help as many investors as possible buy turnkey cash-flowing properties in the Atlanta metro area with as little headache as possible. With conventional and non-conventional financing available, we can help just about any investor in any number of situations buy residential properties in this market. Check us out online at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. Don't let this window of opportunity pass you by. The votes are in and this year's Investor Summit at Sea was a massive hit. Summiteers called it life-changing, far beyond expectations, which were very high, and the best summit yet. If you missed the vote this year, then make plans to join us in 2014. You'll spend an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals, and you'll have a blast. Join the Real Estate Guys for the 12th Annual Investor Summit. It all begins March 8, 2014 in Houston, Texas. Visit Real Estate Guys Radio and click the tab that says Summit to sign up for the advanced notice list. You'll get all the details the minute they get released so you can reserve your spot. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and make plans to spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 12th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. Hi, this is Simon Black from Sovereignman.com, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show today. Kind of a different topic, talking about your privacy as a real estate investor. Come to one of the privacy havens on our real estate field trip to Belize. It's a beautiful place, and there's lots of cool stuff beyond real estate to learn about in that market. You can find out all the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on events. You'll see the Belize Discovery Trips. So we're talking about being private and the reasons you might want to do that. And, you know, today in the age that we're in, we're seeing more and more uh, identity fraud. It's one of the challenges you have, people recreating your presence. And the people who are easy targets are the people that aren't very private. I remember a simple example. We had a client who bought a fourplex in his own name. He doesn't live there, bought it in his own name. He got a credit card offer sent to the address in his name, one of his tenants, took that, applied for it, got a credit card, and the bills came to the address that he owned. The only thing was, it was in his card. The tenant racked that up to $2,500 before they figured it out. Wow, and, and the thing is, sometimes it, it, it's a lot better today because people are careful about it, but you know, a lot of these documents that get scanned and get put into the public record could potentially contain your social security number. Yeah. And that would be the only missing piece of the puzzle. You know, It's just like people ask, they want to know what your birthday is. I'm not a big fan of even telling people because a lot of times that's a security question. What month were you born? What year were you born? What city were you born in? And so, yeah, identity theft is is definitely an issue. And the other thing, too, is if you are out there with a big portfolio of real estate that's easily found, I mean, if you're going to steal somebody's identity, why not steal somebody who's got a lot of property? Especially right. in your case, uh, Robert, you, the case that you just mentioned, is that if if I know that I can have mail sent to an address where the person isn't even living, and you know I, I know that I can intercept that mail and have him not see it, then that gives me just one more piece of the puzzle. Or maybe I can set up a postal mailbox in that name. You know, there's there's tricks that people do. And again, not to make you paranoid, but the more you have to protect, the more diligent you have to be. Let's say you've got a little teeny shack in the middle of a prairie. It doesn't cost much to protect it. If you build a castle that has treasure in it, it's going to cost you a lot more to protect it. That's the price you pay for having a lot of stuff. 
So, you know, don't get wigged out on the expense or the hassle. Just understand it's all part of it. Just like you have expenses and hassle to own property. But at the end of the day, the net, net, net is, is you have more assets, more cash flow, and you're safer and more private. Robert Kiyosaki would say to own nothing but control everything, right? So you don't have a lot of stuff in your own name. And so when we hear about the critic that says, oh, I searched and you can hardly find anything that this guy owns. Well, exactly. Good job. Right? Good job. Exactly. And that's what you want to be. You just don't don't be an attractive nuisance. Don't create an easy paper trail. You want to be, and it's just, you know, it's nobody's business. That's the bottom point. Your private business is your private business. We get people that write in to, to ask the guys and they say, here's my name. Here's a city I live in. Here's what I own. Sometimes giving addresses. And, and that's great that you trust us with that information, but that could be used against you, right? So just... Just be careful. You, you can trust us. You just can't trust Walter. <laughs> That's right. Got to watch out for Walter's Walter. our email room manager. He reads all the mail, and uh, he's got time on his hands. Those are two two bad things to have together. But uh, here's the thing. As you're looking at the decisions you're going to make moving forward with your privacy, with your asset protection, and with your taxation, these are just ideas and information. Then you want to get with your professional vendors and and teammates to find out what really needs to be done and at what level you know what level does it make sense to have tiers of companies to have multi-jurisdictional entity selection set up so that you're you're doing business in different places right Simon Black, not his real name by the way, talks about planting multiple flags, having a business in this country and your domicile in this country and your bank account in this country and again nothing illegal with that it's all about the picture you're trying to paint. And it doesn't have to be the picture that everybody thinks, right? You get to design your own persona, to use your word, Russ, and just be careful about what that is and everything that you do. So there's our, uh, our ideas about privacy. And again, that's just kind of level one privacy. It goes further beyond that. If you really are paranoid, then I would suggest How to Be Invisible by J.J. Luna. It's a fascinating read. Uh, if, you're, if you're paranoid about this, I mean, you want to take it to the nth degree and you really want to hide from Big Brother and all that, I mean, you're going to go crazy with it. Just remember, you know, you get to the point of diminishing returns. Yeah. And so you want to just, in my opinion, and, you know, of course, you can say, hey, I, I want my, my structure to be perfect and impenetrable. Great. Maybe you got the resources and the time to do that. But, but my thing is just don't be low-hanging fruit. Just don't be the guy out there floating in the wind with the fat wallet where you're easily found, easily indexed, and people can quickly put two and two together and steal your identity or identify your assets to come after you for a frivolous lawsuit to extort you. you just why go there? Just make it a little bit harder for the lazy thief to get you, or the lazy lawyer, I should say. Well, I shouldn't have said One that. and the same. <laughs> All right. Well, next week on the uh, program, we've got a great show for you. We are traveling out to grab some good interviews, so be listening for that in the upcoming weeks. And make plans to join us for the Secrets of Successful Syndication, our two-day seminar on putting together capital to do big deals. We've got Ken McElroy coming back. He's uh, done tens of thousands of units and a really, really great guy, Tom Wheelwright. He's going to talk about the tax implications of syndicating money and those kinds of deals. Also, Attorney Mauricio Raul will be on that program with us. It's a wonderful two-day event. Happens uh, in August, and you can find out the details at realestateguysradio.com. Until next week, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by... 
Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at BeYourBank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.